0: Christopher never hurt anybody. He had a gentle, loving, and giving heart. And they crucified him in those woods. And they humiliated his little body. They took his little manhood before he even knew what it was. And I hate him for it. I've never hated anybody in my life. And I hate these three. And the mothers that bore them. Disclaimer. In this chapter, we will be discussing the murder of three eight-year-old boys. The details may be triggering for some listeners. This will be the only warning. Please do not listen if you are sensitive to this topic. Welcome back
1: to part two. Okay, so where we left off. Uh, Last chapter, um, Jesse, Miss Kelly, Jason Baldwin, and Damian Eccles had been charged with three counts of capital murder.
0: And if you guys didn't listen to that episode, make sure you go back and have a listen to that one before you get into this one. Because it gives the backstory about how we got to the point of those three dudes getting arrested.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and considering that it was basically based on a questionable um, polygraph exam and literal rumors around town and fear of the unknown, I guess. So jumping ahead a little bit to August 4th, 1993, Damien, Jason, and Jesse attend a pretrial hearing before Judge David Burnett in Marion, Arkansas. Judge Burnett ruled that Ms. Kelly's trial should be held separately. Um, later, in other important rulings, uh, Burnett also decides that the state can introduce Jesse's confession, despite evidence that it was obtained under coercive circumstances, and that the defendants could be tried as adults rather than juveniles. And remember, at this point, Damien is 18 years old, um, Jason is 16 And Jesse is 17 and Jesse with the IQ of 65 to 71, I believe. So September, uh, the prosecutor who is John Fogelman conducts a series of under oath interviews with various potential trial witnesses. And this is going to be including Jesse, Jason and Damien's family members. November 10th, Judge Burnett rules that, uh, Jesse's trial will open in Corning arkansas in january and that the trial of damien and jason will take place in jonesboro beginning in february so back to back and he's presiding over both trials and both are jury trials
0: and they're all pleading not guilty. all of them
1: pled not guilty correct
0: even jesse who even jesse said that they did it
1: that's right that's right and i know there's listeners out there that's going to say Jesse confessed more than once Um, we'll get into it a little bit and he did confess more than once but you have to look at what he was being offered in exchange for that confession for each time Um, it's not as cut and dry as some web sleuths maybe want you to know Um, especially some of the family members that are still really convinced that Jesse, Damien and Jason are guilty but you gotta stick and, to the facts.
0: And we don't know, right? We don't know. That's and we're right. not saying that we do know. No. But it's what never we're been proven. Saying, yeah, and like it's just weird that with each confession there may
1: be something that he gets or Right. But but having said that, anytime he confess, and it would be for a specific reason, Jesse would never go through with his end of the deal. Like one of them was because he was going to testify against Jason and Damien so they could use that confession in trial. But Jesse refused. Yeah. Like he did his uh, confession when he talked to the prosecutors again. But then when it came time to agree to testify, Jesse basically on the advice of his mom, who said, you know, if you get up on that stand and you tell a lie, I'm going to know God's going to know. Don't you do it no matter what. And Jesse said, I'm not doing it. hmm. So, and again, yeah, every time his mom learn. said,
0: don't lie, his yeah. stuff changed. I remember.
1: Yeah. But again, it's open to interpretation, I guess. Um, but anyways. So remember, I said the prosecutor, John Fogelman interviewed, um, the, like J- Jason's mom, for example, because this is the next part we're getting into. During that interview, uh, they asked her, if Jason owned knives and all of this stuff. And his mom said that he doesn't have knives. He's not allowed to have knives. She doesn't like having knives and that she had found a knife in Jason's room like a year before the crime. And she tossed it in the Lake behind their trailer house. So remember that as we go into this next part here on November 17th in 1993, divers that were hired by the Arkansas state police searched the lake that was behind the trailer where Jason lived and also Damien lived in that same trailer park. Um, They found a nine inch long knife with a serrated edge in the water about 50 feet behind Jason's trailer. What isn't highly publicized for whatever reason is that Jason's mother herself had thrown the knife into the lake a year before. She didn't want or think that Jason needed to own a knife like that, but they never said that in trial. They they went in I think it's within twenty minutes of the of the search starting that lake, they pull up this knife, the media is there, it is totally staged, and they play that off as the murder weapon, even though there wasn't a single stab wound found on the bodies. But they they sold this as the murder weapon.
0: The whole case that they're building off of is just a narrative. So that's right. Oh, here's a knife and let's make our
1: narrative that's again. That's right. And it's absolutely insanity when the medical examiner testifies, but we'll get into it. Um so January 18th, the jury is chosen and Jesse's trial starts shortly after that. Jesse's alibi was that he was wrestling um he was at a wrestling meet two towns over with his entire wrestling team members of which took the stand to confirm that. Unfortunately, though, for Jesse, his taped confession, as well as Vicky, who testified that she had attended uh, that occult satanic meeting, or ESPAT, was enough for the jury to find him guilty. On February 5th, actually, the jury convicts Miss Kelly of one count of first-degree murder and two counts of second-degree murder. His sentence is 40 years in prison, Um, and is sent to a facility in Pine Bluff. And I didn't say it before, but I should probably mention that part of his confession that we didn't play said that he was there, he saw what was happening, Michael Moore broke free and started to run away. Jesse chased him, caught him, brought him back, and waited for Damien and Jason to come and grab Michael. And then at that point, Jesse said that he left. He is He's like pretend for a second that he's guilty and this actually happened. This is where most perpetrators will try to distance themselves from the crime. All I did was chase the kid and hold him until they got there. And then I left. I didn't see anything. But he also says part of his confession is that he says that uh, <clears throat> he watched uh, Jason and Damien sexually assault the boys. And that never happened. Um, he says that he, they, he watched them um, cut the boys up real bad and, and that didn't happen. So, yeah, it's just, it's tragic. So on February 17th in 1994, uh, after, bre- after being pressured by prosecutors and receiving a promise that his girlfriend would be allowed to visit him in jail, Jesse tells prosecutors he will testify against Damien and Jason at their trial. He makes a statement under oath, accusing Damien and Jason of murdering the three boys. So basically repeats the final version of the confession. On February 18th, 94, Jesse changes his mind again and decides that he will not testify at trial. And on February 19th of 1994, the Eccles-Baldwin trial opens in Jonesboro, Arkansas, um, and jury selection begins. On February 28th, ninety four, opening arguments are presented in Jason and Damien's trial, and the film crew from HBO, who were now making the film Paradise Lost, was in the courtroom every day. So the crew stayed local, so they got a good feel for the town, interviewed all of the victims' parents um, and the accused kids' parents, like their schoolmates, their friends, um, pastors at the church, like everybody in the community knew about this case, were following this case. So HBO was there and they did their job. They went around and they talked to everybody. They stayed local. They got a good feel for the town. Personally, I love the HBO releases. Um, It's very one-sided for sure. Not... Not so much Paradise Lost, the first one, the murders at uh, Robin Hood Hills. I believe that that one is, is not lopsided. That's just kind of reporting what they see. Mm-hmm. Um, come the second one, completely lopsided, one sided, 100% for sure, but it's because of what was discovered in part one. Um, I feel like the entire case is lopsided. Obviously everyone should watch the documentaries, and decide for yourself if you think the three had fair trials. Um, But I want to go through this trial um, a little bit more in depth than I did with Jesse's just because of how absolutely bizarre it is. And I don't think that anywhere else in North America would allow such um, just unethical, (laughs) yeah, just absolutely insanity that went down here. So the main issues I found within the trial, and these are my opinion only, but I'm quite sure I'm not alone. Um, prosecution called their medical examiner, who's Frank Peretti, to the stand who performed the autopsies of the three little boys. He stated that the wounds were caused by a serrated knife, even though no stab wounds were found. He theorized that the scratches found on the boys' bodies were the result of scraping and slapping done with the serrated side of the knife, possibly to torture the kids. He also stated that Chris Byers had his penis removed with great skill. In fact, being that there was no blood at the scene, this must have been done in the water, to which he also conceded that he himself would have a very difficult time doing this. Um, considering that it was nightfall, there was no lights out there, he thought it would be very difficult. But th- being no blood there, there's no other explanation. It either happened away from the site and the bodies were brought back or it was done in the water. And the fact that two of the three boys died of drowning, we know that the crime, the murder, took place there. So medical examiner, what are you talking about? Anyway,
0: or it was taken off
1: after, after death, which in the water, water, which let's get to it. We'll, we'll get to that. You know what I mean? In about 13 years, we'll figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, just crazy. Um, He suggested also that the bell shaped wound on Stevie Branch's forehead could have been inflicted by a large belt buckle and that the boys showed signs of sexual assault, such as tearing behind the ears, dilated anuses, though there was no physical evidence to support this theory. There was no DNA, there was no tearing of the anus, nothing like that. Come to find out, this dude was an assistant to the medical examiner. He didn't even pass the exam to become a medical examiner. He failed it. Three times before essentially giving up and just accepting his place as an assistant. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm not calling him incompetent or whatever, but I'm He's not competent enough to
0: be having the opinions that he had. uh,
1: He's obviously obviously challenged in looking at things objectively.
0: They found somebody who would narrate the story that they had built. Yes. And they chose that one to get up there and tell it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. So prosecution also called a juvenile delinquent who was currently incarcerated at the same facility that Jason was being held at. And this kid said that a few hours after meeting Jason, that he had confessed that he cut a boy's balls off, stuck them in his mouth, sucked the blood from the boy's penis, and the absolute absurdity was believed by the jury. This this kid was a drug addict. He admitted on the stand he was a drug addict. He was facing charges. All this stuff and all of that basically went away because he testified to this.
0: Well, to allow a jury to hear that, fair, honestly, for them to believe that, because it is the court's job to make sure that they're not just letting in the riffraff to freaking decide. Right. They have what an ethical. Saying.
1: They have an ethical responsibility. No, I know. And here's what we found out. Now, this same kid, now grown adult, admits that he lied. Mm-hmm. But before he was even put on the stand, his um, like a worker, a jailer, a counselor, something at that um, juvenile facility said that he was the one that told this kid what was in the paper that that had happened and that he let the prosecutors know he's going to be testifying tomorrow and he's lying. And the prosecution didn't believe him.
0: They didn't want to believe them because it
1: supported their narrative. Exactly, But it's just so unethical. Like, so unethical.
0: Yeah, and all I'm saying is that it's like I get why the jury ate it up because Mm -hmm. it's like you count on the court system to be bringing in people who are telling the truth. Mm -hmm.
1: So let's get into the experts. prosecution called this um, occult expert, Dale Griffith, This guy, let me tell you, he testified that the blood of children is basically the top of the devil worship food chain and that the accused painted their hair black, their nails black, they wore black clothing, they listened to heavy metal music, they do drawings of pentagrams and he cemented his dramatic testimony by explaining that the crime was committed during a full moon so of course it had to be satanic. When Jason's lawyer questioned him, like cross-examined him, it was brought to light that this guy got his PhD through a mail-order college. Nowadays, there's there's some of these distance learning online schools, whatever, that are reputable, that are registered and certified, and they are recognized as legitimate co- um, education. But back in 1994, anybody could do this. Just a mail-order thing, and yeah, they'll send you books and stuff, and you have to do tests, but there's no classes. And this is what Jason's lawyer was trying to get through. You're an expert. So how many classes have you taken to learn about this topic that you're claiming to be an expert in? Zero. He admitted zero classes. So Damien's lawyer stood up and said, we would like to, um, basically throw this guy out. Uh, he's not an expert. He's Doesn't have his educational background, like he said. He's an impersonator. But the judge, Burnett, said that just because you're not educated doesn't mean you're not an expert in a field. Which, fair enough, but you need to voir him to figure out what makes you an expert then. Totally. And that just, that never happened.
0: Oh, no, and I remember, like, I remember probably the documentary is probably what I've seen with it. And I just it's watching that dude right there's a video of the dude on the stand and looking at him like i remember being like okay yeah this guy's gotta
1: go yeah so yeah like zero classes no education to support his expertise in the occult um to me this was best illustrated when his this expert knew so much about the occult but he failed to express the differences between satanic worshiping and wiccan religion Um, He did mention white witchcraft and um, Satanism, but he never explained to anybody the difference. Um, Finally, as part of his closing argument, uh, John Fogelman brought out a big old grapefruit, like an actual piece of fruit, a grapefruit. Using the serrated knife that Jason's mom had thrown into that lake in 1992, a year before the murders, He started slapping the skin of this grapefruit and scraping along the side of the skin of this grapefruit and then walked up to the jury and said, see, cut here, space, cut here, space. Trying to demonstrate for the jury, this knife caused these scratch-like looking wounds on the boys. They bought it. They 100% bought it. I don't know why it didn't occur to anybody, not even the defense to say, when you have a knife at a murder scene, wouldn't you use it as the murder weapon? I just, it didn't, it just didn't come up. It's all just a load of garbage. So again, Jesse's confession was not permitted because all defendants have a right to face their accuser and Jesse refused to testify at their trial. But it was later found out that the jury was well aware of the confession because it was so well publicized and it was part of their deliberations. Um, In 2007, we got evidence showing that the, what are they called? The flip boards, the big pieces of paper that they used to use. Big, big notepad. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. The big display notepads. It's almost like the schools would use them. Yeah. So they had a list of pros and cons, like for guilty and and for innocent. And on the guilty column, there was this one thing that was completely blacked out. But one of the jurors had taken photocopies of all of the notes of everything for her own notes. And that part wasn't blacked out. And that was the confession made by Jesse Miss Kelly. So they had considered it in their des- deliberations, even though they weren't allowed to consider it. That right there... Is grounds for a mistrial, is grounds for a new trial. Totally. I should also mention that the prosecution had young teenaged eyewitnesses who said they heard Damien talking about the murders one day at the ball fields. Investigators found a fiber that was consistent with a fiber from a robe that Damien's mother owned. This robe was one that was sold at Walmart all over the United States and Canada. Um and honestly, that's all the evidence that we have. I'm not kidding. So by March 17, 94, this ridiculousness had wrapped up and jury deliberations begin. And the next day on March 18th, the jury finds Jason and Damien guilty of capital murder in the deaths of Stevie Branch, Michael Moore, and Chris Byers. On March 21st, the sentencing phase of the trial begins. Uh, the jury sentences Jason to life in prison and Damien to death. The date for Damien's execution is set for May 5th, um, which ironically is a year to the day of when the boys were murdered.
0: So he was supposed to be executed like less than two months later after the
1: sentences, which is crazy. Yeah. So Jason is sent to serve a sentence at Pine Bluff while Damien is sent to death row in the state's maximum security prison near Varner, Arkansas. Over the next several years, the same judge judge Burnett would preside over all filings in the case. It became very clear that he would not agree to any issues or agree to evaluate the case any further for any reason whatsoever. In May, 1994, Damian, Jason and Jesse all appeal their convictions and the wheels of justice move slowly, but eventually they're all declined. They're all denied. And in February 1996, the Arkansas Supreme Court issues a decision upholding all three convictions. Also in 1996, the film um, Paradise Lost, The Child Murders of Robin Hood Hills premieres. The film suggests that all three of the convicted men were wrongfully convicted. And shortly after, a website, WM3.org, so WestMemphis3.org, dedicated to securing justice for the West Memphis Three is established. Most of the people who started the webpage felt that the trial was unfair and did not prove guilt. They weren't asking them to be set free. They were wanting a new trial, which is exactly how I felt at the time, too. Just, like, prove it.
0: And police obviously did not want that because they mm-hmm. knew that they didn't have anything no. to go off of, and the same the same things wouldn't fly.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, people who watched the documentary didn't seem to like Chris Byers' parents, um, Mark and Melissa, too much. Um, Mark was volatile. She was absolutely broken, and they were both very outspoken. Um, they were both very religious. Um, they'd both been in trouble with the law before and after the murders, Mark's behavior in the film made people suspicious of him and thought that maybe he was possibly involved.
0: And I will like, let's, let's just call it for what it is. He seemed a little crazy. And they were that both is...
1: extraordinarily unstable. And I'd actually yes. like to play a clip right now. Um, and it's going to be a blended clip. One part is going to be Melissa Byers and some of the things that she had to say and then break away to some of Mark's behavior just to kind of show the listeners what we're dealing with here why suspicion fell on them so
0: and he kind of had crazy eyes anyway let's yeah. listen
1: it yeah. hasn't changed anything our son was still our
2: son and he was tortured
0: dead. to death by
1: three murdering
0: bastards on a ditch bike. he was eight years old and guilty is guilty. And I hope the little sucker when he hits Cummins, they get his ass right off the bat because he deserves to be tortured and punished for the rest of his life for murdering three eight-year-old children.
2: To me, this place as I stand is like hell on earth because I know that three babies were killed right out here where I stand. I know my son was castrated and possibly laid there on that bank and bled to death. I know he was choked. I know one boy's head was beat in beyond recognition. I know one little boy was skinned almost like an animal, cut, had to shave his head, had all types of injuries to the head where they just kept beating and pounding on them and killing them and killing them. It's like they enjoyed it. They killed him two or three times. Jesse Miskelley Jr., Jason Baldwin, Damian Eccles. I hope your master of the devil does take you soon. I want you to meet him real soon. And the day you die, I'm gonna praise God. And i make you a promise. The day you die, every year on May 5th, I'm gonna come to your graveside. I'm gonna spit on you. I'm gonna curse the day you were born, and I'm sure while I'm standing there, I'm gonna have to have other bodily functions let go upon your grave. I promise you, as God is my witness, I'll visit all three of your graves.
1: So clearly, they're they're unstable, and I think they became even more unhinged with this murder. You're being nice by
0: saying unstable. They to sound
1: crazy. <laughs> they sound evil. They you sound great. That to me is how satan worshipers that are out for blood would say, like i'd i'd eat the skin off of his face like what that is so brutal she goes on to say in another part um she's gonna mail jesse a skirt like this woman has no maternal and the mothers that bore them like you i crazy unhinged nuts whoa whoa cray cray but Not to speak badly of her because... She lost her son, but
0: you lost your son and you're still cray-cray. That's all I'm saying. I'm I'm not saying shame on you, you're cray-cray. Totally get it, but you're a little crazy. Mm
1: -hmm. But she actually died of undetermined causes on March 29th, 1996. And wow, did some people think that she figured out Mark was guilty, so he had to kill her. Obviously, that wasn't the case, but between... Paradise Lost 1 being released and Melissa dying shortly after and the time Paradise Lost 2 was released people were convinced how do you how do you not determine the cause of a death well her autopsy wasn't released so okay. basically basically she I believe what it was is she had a heart attack that was brought on by drug use and she had so many prescriptions in her system and there was one prescription that was it or one drug that was in her system that was a prescription, but not her prescription. Mm. So there were, there was nothing that anybody could charge. She was, she was self-medicating. She was broken. Like when her baby died, that was, that was the end of her life. Basically, she fair, can,
0: but obviously suspicions came in and yeah. people were creating their own narrative that obviously yeah. somebody maybe slipped her the other pill. That's
1: right. So on June 17th, 1999 was the next time we hear from judge Burnett when he denies a petition for a new trial, um, that was filed under Arkansas rule 37 for Damien. Um, uh, December, 1999 Damien marries Lori Davis of New York in a Buddhist ceremony that was performed at the prison. Basically, Lori had seen the paradise lost movie, Stuart started writing to Damien. And I know we talked about this kind of thing back with Richard Ramirez when he got married. And it was kind of like a fangirl who believed he was innocent. Fully. Um, Yeah. And that woman was, I mean, a little beside herself. Lori Davis was um, well-educated, a successful architect. Um, She didn't have to do anything that she did. She ended up moving closer to the penitentiary so that she could see. And she got very involved in the westmemphis3.org and raising money for new testing and stuff like that. So anyways, back to the point, they ended up getting married in 99. And then in March of 2000, the film Paradise Lost Two Revelations uh, premiered on HBO. The film suggests that John Mark Byers was the actual murderer Honestly, if you thought the first film was one-sided, this second film blatantly points to Mark Byers as the perpetrator. I mean, I still enjoyed the film, but it was so one-sided. Um, It's looking back and re-watching it now, it's hard to watch um, because he is obviously struggling now. He's lost his stepson. He's lost his wife. He's been accused. He's... He's basically ostracized from everything. Um, he's on medication. He's got some serious issues, and I, looking back at it, the way he was portrayed, I, I feel a lot of pity towards him. But also in this uh, Paradise Lost 2 film, Johnny Depp, Metallica, Henry Rollins, the Dixie Chicks at the time, or the Chicks nowadays, um, Eddie Vedder, all joined, free the West Memphis Three cause. They held fundraisers and really brought this case to the front pages again. In 2001, the Arkansas Supreme Court ruled that Judge Burnett failed to give sufficient attention to Eccles' arguments in his rejection of Damien's Rule 37 petition. Um, The Supreme Court sends the case back to Judge Burnett for further consideration of the issues presented in the petition. Can we guess how that worked out? Because it's still being sent back to the same. Even though the Supreme Court is telling the judge, you need to reconsider this, you need to relook at all of this, he still denies it mm-hmm. because it's Judge Burnett and no judge like to have their rulings questioned or overturned for any reason. In October of 2003, an interview with the Arkansas Times reporter, uh, Vicki Hutchinson, says that everything she told police was a lie in 1993, and suggested that the police warned her that if she did not cooperate in their investigation that her child, Aaron would be taken away from her. So who knows if that's true or not, but she's, on 2003, on the record, said that she lied. And around this very same time is when we start to learn about the jury misconduct with considering the uh, confession, and we also hear about that juvenile who lied on the stand and the person who... Um, told him the story all of this comes to light between 2003 and 2005. Meantime the West Memphis Three organization Free the West Memphis Three they're raising money and like I said they've got all these these big name people now add to that list Fran and Peter Jackson so the dude that wrote the Lord of the Rings and all this stuff now they're involved and now their money is involved so they're able to pay for proper DNA testing, proper analysis of the crime. And um, in 2007, when the DNA collected from evidence um, from the crime scene is tested, it is found that none of it matches DNA of Damien, Jason, or Jesse. Of the experts that were hired to retest the evidence is um, my personal hero, Uh, John Douglas. He's like the, one of the pioneers of criminal profiling. And I'd like to say of the experts that were hired, John Douglas did this pro bono. He did not get paid for this. There was one stipulation that they had that if whatever John found, whatever John found with his profile, if it didn't point to innocence then they weren't going to use the information and he wasn't publicly allowed to. He wasn't publicly allowed to speak to it. So I don't know if I like that or not myself, but I do have a recording of John Douglas telling that story, just basically saying that, you know, I don't need you to pay me, but just know I'm going to tell you what I find. You might not like it. Mm -hmm. And the defense just basically said, okay, well, if we don't like it, then we're just not going to use it. Mm -hmm. And you have to agree to keep quiet about it. So, But that's not what happened. You know he found what what is so a couple of the other um high-profile experts that were hired was uh werner spitz he basically w- uh, wrote the bible on forensic pathology and uh, richard Suveron. Um richard Souveron is the guy who testified he took ted bundy's bite teeth impressions And he's the guy that testified that the the bite marks on one of the victim's buttocks was that of Ted Bundy's. And that's how he kind of became a more famous odontologist, forensic uh, odontologist. And so he was one of the experts that these guys brought in. These experts gave their opinions, which basically were as follows. The scratches and scrapes caused by animal predation. So anybody can go on the internet at any time and believe it or not, you can see these autopsy photos. They are brutal and horrific to say the least, but you can, when these men are talking, you go back and look at those pictures, you can see it. It makes sense. Scratches and scratches caused by animal predation. The bell-shaped wound caused by snapping turtles. Um, In the third Paradise Lost movie, uh, Purgatory, um, that, that was kind of centered around all of this evidence that was found in 2007. They had a guy who actually allowed himself to be bit by snapping turtles, and I and I shit you not, the wound is identical to the bell-shaped wound on Stevie Branch's head. Um, That's that Frank Peretti said would, could have possibly been caused by a belt buckle. Yeah, maybe, but now we know for sure that was a snapping turtle. Another part of it was all of the, like the tears, like behind the ears and the gouging wounds to the faces and, um, even the mutilation to little Christopher's genital area. Um, so when snapping turtles and feeder fish and stuff are, when they're preying on something, they're, they're looking for the loose meat. They're taking the, the, the parts that are soft, that are kind of hanging or floating. And so earlobes. Um, maybe a little bit of a double chin, nostril, penis, scrotum. You know, it's very horrific to think about, but clearly this is what these experts saw when they were reviewing all of the evidence. Um, so getting back to John Douglas, he concluded that this was not a satanic murder, but a personal cause homicide. Um, and going back in John Douglas's career a little bit back in the early eighties and into the nineties, they, the FBI, the behavioral analysis people, they did an in-depth study of the satanic ritual abuse because there were so many um, cases popping up and they determined there wasn't a single credible case of satanic murder. There were people that were committing murder, um, Because they were Satanists, but there were never any murders being committed for Satan. if that makes any sense. Um, They basically debunked the entire Satanic Ritual Abuse Theory. Yeah. Um, They're not denying that people were abused and murdered um, with that in mind. But what they were saying is there was no big conspiracy and there was no little fraction of these groups that were going around saying, if you kill children, you're gonna be higher on the totem pole, or they just, they debunked that whole thing. But John had said that this murder looked to him as a personal cause homicide. Um, This means that uh, parental or sibling rage of friend on friend, it's not a crime of passion, it's not for money, uh, the boys weren't sexually assaulted, so there wasn't a sexual um, motivation behind it. This was to humiliate, degrade, and punish. Um, so he spent some time discussing things with Terry Hobbs, Mark Byers, and the others. He said that in his position, the crime looked more like punishment to the boys instead of any kind of gratification to whoever did this.
0: Like, it wasn't like somebody went out and was like, I'm going to murder three kids that's right. it's more like these three kids did something or didn't right. listen and now it's a punishment
1: that's right so also tested was a hair found in a knot used to tie up one of the victims it was found to be not inconsistent with terry hobbs who was as we know stevie branch's stepfather um another hair found on a tree stump not far from that was not inconsistent with that of Terry's friend, David Jacoby. David had admitted to being out there searching, and his story has never changed. The interesting thing about um, Terry's hair being in a ligature was found in the ligature that was used to tie Michael Moore. So you could argue transfer DNA, Like his hair got there because Michael had been in his house before. Yep. But kind of suspicious.
0: For sure, suspicious. suspicious. When you're looking for DNA and you're just looking for anything that will point towards who did this, and then that's the DNA you find. Mm -hmm. That's not the only
1: DNA that's found. Yeah. There is absolutely nothing at the scene to point anywhere else. Um, John Mark Byers tells the media at this point that he now believes that the three young men convicted are innocent. So in Paradise Lost Two Revelations, John Mark Byers is at every hearing. He's taking every interview. He is screaming from the mountaintops that these three boys are guilty. They killed his son. Um, they're devil worshipers. You name it. He is portrayed as insane in purgatory. So at a little rock rally, the Dixie chick singer Natalie Maines implies that Terry Hobbs was involved in the killing of his uh, stepson, Stevie Branch, and the other two boys. This sparked a lot of controversy um, for Terry Hobbs. He basically ended up bringing a civil suit against her for defamation of character. Um, I, I, I almost believe that it was planned that way. Because this way, I wouldn't doubt for one second that John Douglas advised them to do something like that, make it public, accuse him, and make him mad because he's going to be out for money. He wants his payday. Now he's bringing the civil suit. Guess what? Natalie means lawyers, who you know as well as I do, she's probably got some good lawyers, they get to depose him. They get to sit him down and question him under oath about everything. So they do this and the videotape depositions are, I mean, they're sad, but they're hilarious. Watch it. He was not expecting to be questioned about any of this. So basically, after the murders, um, he thought that Pam had cheated on her. So he hit Pam. So Pam called her dad and her brother and they went over to confront Terry about this and a physical fight broke out between Terry and Pam's brother. Terry, supposedly in self-defense, ended up shooting Pam's brother. Um, and he was hospitalized for his injuries. That was one thing. Another thing that was brought up in the deposition was that one of Terry's old neighbors, she was an older lady, said that Terry had broken into her apartment a few times and was watching her and was very creepy, and he actually assaulted her in her apartment one day, um, like went to grab her and he had to answer to all of this. Yeah. So, but apparently there was DNA found on the penis of one of the other boys at the scene. This, I mean, I've never seen any documentation about this, but people magazine investigates did a show on the West Memphis three more recently. And that information was brought up. Um, and, and, the sample was not sufficient for identifying a donor, though it was enough to rule out the West Memphis Three, Terry Hobbs, David Jacoby, or anybody else that had been mentioned in the case. Now, And it, I, I still find this very um, questionable because of how I feel about John Douglas and his work, and he's very ethical, and he's given interviews since then, even up to like four months ago, where he still believes that Terry Hobbs is a good suspect for this. So, and I feel like if there was DNA of somebody else on the genitals of one of the victims, he, he would take that into consideration. And I, and I just, I haven't heard it, but I wanted to bring it up just because there was a report saying that it was there. Mm -hmm. So it is what it is. So during all of this evidence and the depositions and all of this stuff. So, um, Damien's defense team at this point, um, they do a, I guess a press conference of sorts where they have the media in and they have all of these experts in, and they're telling their story, um, all of the evidence that was found. So this brought the case back into the national headlines. Um, And on July, 2008, evidence surfaces that Kent Arnold, who was the jury foreman in Damien and Jesse or Damien and Jason's trial, discussed the case with an attorney prior to deliberations and, um, advocated in the jury room for their convictions. So basically he was telling his friend who was an attorney that he knew that they were guilty He had to be the foreman of the jury so that he could convince everybody else that these Satanists needed to burn. And lo and behold, he did become the jury foreman. And exactly what he thought was going to happen, happened. He was able to do what he set out to do. So a few months later in September of 2008, Judge Burnett absolutely absurdly denies the request for a retrial, holding that the DNA evidence produced by the defendants was inconclusive. I feel like he should have been disbarred for failing to consider this new evidence. I really do. Sometime between 2008 and 2010, Judge Burnett, he's now running for office. So he cannot hold a seat as a circuit County judge if he's in office. So Ironically, the WestMemphis3.org group, all of the supporters of the West Memphis Three, now get on board to get Judge Burnett elected, right? So there's a huge campaign, and they're successful. He is elected, and he can no longer preside over any rulings. So this is where things start to change. November 4th, 2010, the Arkansas Supreme Court orders a trial judge to determine whether newly discovered DNA evidence or evidence of juror misconduct justifies either a new trial or exoneration of the three defendants. During that Supreme court um, hearing Damien's attorneys were arguing that all evidence of guilt and innocence, all means all is a direct quote from that should be considered in this. And The prosecutor was saying only evidence showing guilt should be considered. So the argument itself was asinine and it made no sense. And the Supreme Court finally ruled in Damien's favor, um, forcing the Arkansas um, court circuit to reconsider that and ordering them. Basically, you either decide they're going to be given a new trial or they're going to be exonerated, figure it out, but... Now this is, this is what we're telling you to do. So a few months later, the prosecutor decides he doesn't want to go forward with a new trial. He publicly states that he has enough to convict them, but the cost would be huge to retry the three. So they decide to offer Damien, Jesse, and Jason the Alfred plea. The trick is all three must accept the deal or there is no deal. At first, Jason refused. He would not take the deal. Um, he ended up accepting for the only reason that Damien's appeals had run out. His next stop was lethal injection. So on August 19th, 2011, Damien, Jason, and Jesse are released from custody following the deal in which the three men agreed to admit guilt on murder charges while still maintaining their innocence in exchange for their release without parole. So that was a... That was a televised open hearing, and yep. they each took their turn standing up saying, you know, I'm innocent of these charges, but... I am ad- guilty. <laughs> but on the advice of my, my yeah. lawyer and um, Alfred versus whatever, state of Arkansas, I agree to plead guilty to these charges. So all three of them basically said the same thing.
0: Which, I mean, obviously... They had somebody on death row, and then they just let him walk, even though he's guilty. Mm-hmm. No, and I
1: mean that speaks volumes. And volumes. And not just that, you have to look at the words that people use. And I've said this in other episodes before. People try to read between the lines and this and that. You you listen to the words that that new prosecutor used. Um, he he said that he doesn't think this. The case is strong enough to convict. He would give it his best shot, but he can't be positive to get convictions. So he's saving, he's saving the state a lot of money by doing this Alfred plea being that convicted murderers cannot sue the state, right? So these guys spent 18 years in prison Technically, once they're exonerated, the state owes them probably millions of dollars for wrongful conviction. Mm -hmm. Um, By doing this, they can't sue the state. So that's basically his reason. Plus, I think everybody knows. And the judge that accepted the offered plea says, and he thanked all the public and all the supporters and everything, and showing that, you know what, the public can make a difference in a case like this. So, I mean... It was a very, very bizarre, bizarre day. And outside the courtroom, you had Terry Hobbs out there shaking his head, just ticked off that they were being released. Weird. But then you also had John Mark Byers out there being extremely boisterous, saying the real killer is standing right over there. These guys are innocent, and they had to plead guilty so that Damien's not put to death. This is not justice. He's being just as loud now about their innocence as he was About their guilt. before, So. And I mean. Just not as crazy. And erratic anymore. He was very. um, Reasonable. You know. Is the best word. I can think of it. Whereas before. He was very unreasonable. Almost drugged up. Crazy. Whatever. But. Unfortunately though. He also died. In a car accident. Um, So. That's. That's a shame. So 2011. Three guys. They're let out of jail. They have to re-enter society they have to relearn how to eat normal food again they have to you know relearn how to interact with society and even their girlfriends or their parents or you know what I mean? They they have to relearn all of that.
0: Johnny Depp and, like, all those dudes make it a little easier for Damien. For Damien. They got him clothes. They got him a yeah. haircut. They styled him up.
1: And for sure. They set him up. Like, he's got his own sure. shop now. He does tattoos, and he, he practices his Buddhism, and he's a writer and all this stuff. They yeah. set him up good. And same with Jason. Like, I don't know too much about Jason's support, like, how he was able to pay for it, but he... He is a huge um, advocate and spokesperson for the wrongfully convicted, the justice project, or the, sorry, the innocence project. And, um, his, his goal is to go to law school. And these guys are my age. I couldn't imagine deciding at my age to go and finish my criminal justice and, and become a lawyer or whatever, but that's what he's doing. Jesse, on the other hand, has stayed in West Memphis. His dad recently passed away, but he is basically working as a mechanic. He, for the most part, staying out of jail, staying out of trouble, um, but nothing serious has happened. And he will run away from media reporters. He said he will not talk to them because he blames them for what they all went through, even though he confessed. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I don't disagree that the media blew it up to where it didn't need to be, but I don't know that it's the media's fault that they were convicted.
0: I think that he probably runs away from all of it. But yeah, it's society in a whole that failed him in his
1: eyes. So, mm-hmm. so now in January 2022, uh, Damien's attorneys filed the petition for new DNA testing, say it might serve to identify the killer and bring justice to the case. Uh, Damien's petition asked the judge to approve testing with the MVAC wet vacuum system. Uh, This testing was not even available previous times uh, when the evidence was tested. So no one knows, of course, whether additional testing of the ligatures or the shoelaces with the new MVAC DNA collection technology will lead to the recovery of new DNA samples for testing. Um, But one thing is certain is that such evidence will definitely not be found if testing with this new technology is not done. Um, They were once again denied. The Crittenden County Circuit Court dismissed the petition originally for lack of jurisdiction. Judge Tanya Alexander denied Damien's uh, habeas corpus petition in in 2022, which is what this is, uh, because she said that under Arkansas law, it's only available to somebody who is currently in state custody. Mm -hmm. The appeal asks the Arkansas Supreme Court to order a full hearing on the request for new testing. Incredibly, an article dated March 1st, 2023, reads, Now Attorney General Tim Griffin has requested the Arkansas Supreme Court to dismiss the case based on the fact that petition was filed in Crittenden County, but Eccles was convicted in Craighead County. Talk about nickel and diming. Just ridiculous. Lawyers have to follow the law when you file in the wrong place, It's not my fault, said Attorney General Griffin. We feel strongly that we are in the right. Nevertheless, this is a complete delaying of tactics, Damien's uh, lawyers explained. Uh, And I mean, fair enough. The Attorney General Griffin expects Damien's legal team to refile in Craighead County, but he said that it won't make a difference in the long run. He explained that particular petition they filed is not up for interpretation and ultimately is not within their rights. Even if he files within the right court, there is no body that's required under habeas corpus because he's released. He's not in custody anymore. So do we want to know who killed these boys or not? Do you know what I'm saying? Like how how do you get through to this state's court system? Like it's just... Mind-boggling.
0: Well, you said it yourself. It's their jobs right now to protect their finances and their county, so that's their main
1: goal. So justice for those little boys means nothing to these people. Mm -hmm. It is infuriating. Echo's legal team has filed a response to the attorney general's request, where they they're asking the court to deny it. Ultimately, the judge will make a final ruling on whether to proceed. If the judge makes the decision to deny the state's request for dismissal, then Attorney General Tim Griffin will get a chance to respond to that decision. Like, talk about a back and forth. What are they afraid of? I get the money, but this case just cont- it continues to boggle the mind.
0: But you-, you said it. It's it's the money. We're talking millions and millions of dollars. Yeah.
1: And I mean, there's got to be some kind of stipulation they can do. We'll do this, but sign off that you're not going to sue us because we just can't afford that.
0: I don't think they would sign off on it anyway.
1: Why would they? Because it's
0: not about the three little boys to anybody, sadly.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that Damien and Jason want to know who did it to clear their own names, but they want justice for the little boys so that they can say, I told you. Yeah, but I think they want justice for themselves.
0: Yeah not so much the little boys like i'm sure it's there as like their public persona yeah. persona but i their number one is obviously themselves yeah and it just goes into everybody forgetting like the most important part which is the three children who lost their lives mm-hmm.
1: yeah exactly I mean, As for me, I don't think this one is resolved, even though it's technically done. There were convictions and the sentences were all served. Uh, This case has to continue. So, like, I refuse to close the book on this one. I have got to believe that one day we're going to know who killed those little boys. And, I mean, I'm not concerned with the exoneration of the three convicted, in my mind. That's not as important as finding out who... Did the crime so i am not putting this one to rest i'm going to put a bookmark in it for now
0: if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends if you don't mind giving us a five-star rating it will help our show grow check out our tiktok where you can find interesting photos and content on all released episodes you can also find us on facebook and youtube at true crime story podcast where the discussion can continue if you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. but I'm sure. And we'll see you on the next chapter. Bye!